Matthew chapter 8, verses 23 to 27. Uh, we're going to be looking at a rather familiar passage. If you have uh, grew up in church, this is a story you would have heard plenty of times, if not heard it being preached on a lot. Um, even if you haven't, uh, you're not really a church goer, and this is one of the f- first times you're in, this would have uh, been a passage I'm sure you would have heard of. And if not, man, you're going to hear some incredible, an incredible story um, this evening. But even though it is probably familiar to all of us, it is still God's word. And we believe that God uses his word to speak into our lives. We have a God who is alive and speaks through his word. So I want you to be expectant. Don't switch off because you might know the story. Um, but be expectant because I feel like God's going to speak through this passage this evening. So if you have your Bibles, Matthew 8, 20, uh, verses 23 to 27, it goes as follows. And when he, that is Jesus, got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves, but he was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this that even winds and see obey him? Let us pray. Father, we come before you this evening expecting to hear from you. Lord, you have ordained that when uh, your children get together, that you would be among us. And Lord, we pray that you would speak powerfully through your word. That it wouldn't be mine, wouldn't be about Joey, but it would be about this glorious Jesus. Lord, would you speak powerfully. May your word not return empty. We pray that, Lord, you would help us to set aside all the things that happened this evening. We had quite a busy, different evening. May that not detract from your word and not detract from you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So Jesus and his disciples have been ministering uh, the whole day. They've been casting out demons. They've been healing the sick. They've been teaching. They've been rubbing shoulders with a variety of different people. And at the end of a busy day's worth of ministry, they uh, get onto the boat and they're wanting to cross from one side of the Sea of Galilee to the other. And as they get onto the boat, Jesus, exhausted from a hard day's worth of work, goes to the back of the boat, grabs a cushion, as we see in Mark's account, puts his head on it and goes straight to sleep. And his disciples are left with the task of getting them from one side of the Sea of Galilee to the other. And as they cross in, out of nowhere comes this massive storm. Now, big storms on the Sea of Galilee isn't uncommon. The Sea of Galilee is about 600 feet below sea level. And so what happens is when there's been a really hot day, the air above the sea starts to rise and the cool air in the wilderness runs down the valley and starts to pick up speed to fill that space. And so all of a sudden it can be nice and calm and then bang, there's this big wind that comes, a big storm, the waves get big and you're caught in the storm. But we know that this storm is particularly a big storm. One, because scripture says it is a great storm. But two, we also know that the disciples, most of them, or a lot of them, were fishermen. And so they knew how to handle a boat. They would have been in many storms like this before. But yet with all their experience, with all their skills and expertise, they were unable to navigate through the storm. That they find themselves so desperate that they think they're going to die. That they run to the carpenter's son at the back who sleep in Jesus, and they ask and plead that he might be able to help them. And they say to him, wake up, Lord, like, save us, we are perishing. 
And Jesus, waking up from a nap, probably a bit dazed, looks at them and says, why are you so afraid, oh, you of little faith? And Jesus stands up and, and he rebukes the wind and the wave. You see in Mark's account that he says, peace, be still. And the winds and the waves obey him. And there goes from this massive, great storm, and the scripture says, to a great calm, a great peace. And the disciples being fearing for their lives, being in the life and death situation, suddenly see what's happened, marvel at what Jesus has done, take a step back and say, what sort of man is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? What sort of man is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? That's the question that Matthew, this author who writes the story, wants us to ask and come to a conclusion with. Jesus finds this important as well. We can see it in his rebuke to the disciples when he asks them, why are you so afraid, O you of little faith? Faith in what? Faith in who Jesus is. And when Jesus talks about a little faith, yeah, he's not necessarily talking about a quantity of faith as much as he's talking about a quality of faith. We know that because if we go forward in the Gospel of Matthew to Matthew 17, verse 20, Jesus talking about faith says we need to have faith the size of a mustard seed. It's not the size that matters, but rather the quality of faith that matters. But he also proposes something important for us that a poor quality faith is easily driven out by fear. That we get fearful in, in times of uncertainty, fearful in times of difficulty. It is often because we have a poor quality faith. We see that when Jesus says, why are you so afraid, O you of little faith? But the, the opposite might be true as well, that a good quality faith, a, a mature faith, is able to withstand fear, able to stand certain in the time, or able to stand firm in the times of uncertainty, in the times of difficulty, in the storms of life. It is able to stand firm. It will even, maybe even drive out fear. But we see that the disciples haven't quite got that yet. And we can see that in the exclamation, man, what sort of man is this? They haven't quite figured this all out just as yet. But Having said that, you and I maybe can take it a little easy on the disciples when we start to consider our own prayer life. When we consider our prayers that we pray, we have a, a theology that we believe God can use all things for the good of those who love him and according to his purpose and for his glory. We also have a, a theology that God hears our prayers and is able to answer our prayers and does answer our prayers. But yet when God does come through, when we've prayed for a situation and God does come through for us, we, oh man, I can't believe God came through. Alyssa and I found ourselves in a, a similar situation about two years ago. Uh, she's from Durban, so her family's still up there, and we head up to Derbs uh, to go visit them uh, quite regularly. And uh, my cousins also stay up there, or one of my cousins stays up there. And so we try and make sure that we see my family, her family, and some of the friends that she grew up with. And one of her friends is now friends with my cousin. It's just this small world, um, but it means that we can kill two birds with one stone. We can just see as many people as we can at once. It's this beautiful thing. And uh, we went off to her uh, friend's house, and we parked outside. And as we got out, the car went around to fetch Alyssa. And as I turned around, there were three guys with guns. 
um, and they hijacked us, took my mother-in-law's car. That was a great conversation to have. Um, they took all our possessions, pretty much everything that we had on us, uh, borrowing one or two things. We weren't hurt by the grace of God. But as a result, they took our wallets and they had our ID cards and we had our driver's licenses in and meant we had to spend time in home affairs. It's two years down the line, so I think I can make this joke, but being in home affairs is nearly as bad as getting hijacked. And so we had to go and sit inside home affairs and do that and cost us 1,500 rand for the both of us to replace our ID cards and our driver's license. It was just an awful experience altogether. And um, we thought, well, man, we need to try and get some of this back. This is costing us a lot of money to replace it. Um, and being quite poor at the time and also having spent all our money going to Durban and trying to get back, we had nothing to replace. And so we uh, got hold of the insurance and we thought, oh, man, this is taking our chance here. It wasn't our car. We were in Durban. How's it going to work? But we get, told them the story and what happened. They said, well... Send through the papers and see what we can do. So we prayed. We're like, Lord, if we could have a couple of hundred bucks, please, just to pay towards us. Man, if you could cover the ID cards and driver's license, because that's just a sort of pain. If you could cover that, that would be amazing. Like, we'd be blown away by that. And we started praying, and three weeks went by with no answer until one day we got an SMS from the insurance saying that it covered pretty much all of it, borrowing a couple of hundred rand. Place phones, wallets, bags, you name it. They covered it all. And Alyssa and I stood back and went, what sort of man is this that even insurance companies listen to him? <laughs> you see, the deficiency in our faith is not so much that we have a poor expectation of what this God can do, but rather the deficiency of our faith is found in that we have a poor understanding of who this God is, who this Jesus is. We see this with the disciples, and I feel like I'm beating up on them quite a bit. But man, if they understood, if they had truly grasped that this God was the, the heavenly sent redeemer, that he had come to die for the sins of the world, then surely they would have known that the storm that day would not be able to snuff him out and end his mission. That if they had truly grasped that this Jesus who was in the back of the boat was the agent of all creation, that when he spoke, creation came into being, then surely they would have known that a storm could not end his life. But they hadn't quite grasped that yet. And we see that in the exclamation, what sort of man is this? They hadn't quite come to a proper understanding of who Jesus is. And man, they have faith, don't they? They have some form of faith. Why? Because they run to Jesus. But their faith isn't quite mature and proper yet because we can see that they were blown away that he actually came through for them. And this is probably the most important thing I'm going to say this evening. Faith is most stable when it is centered on who Jesus is. Faith urgently needs to know not what action this Jesus was going to take, not what promise he has made for this or that situation, as much as it needs to know who is this Jesus. Let me say it one more time. Faith is most stable when it is centered on who Jesus is. Faith urgently needs to know, not what action this Jesus is going to take, not what promise he has made for this or that situation, as much as it needs to know who this Jesus is. Why is that the case? Because if we don't understand who this Jesus is, then we are never going to know whether or not we know the action or not. We're not going to know whether or not he can actually do it. Can this Jesus come through for us? I don't know. He says he's going to do this, but you don't know him. You don't know his character. You're not sure if he's able. 
Man, if you know the promises that God has made for certain situations, but you don't know the fact that he is faithful, then you're going to question whether or not he's going to come through for you or not. Oh, but man, if you know this Jesus, if you know him and you know that he is loving, that he is good, that he is sovereign, that he is a faithful, merciful, gracious God, when you start to unpack the character of Jesus and get to know it personally in your life, you don't need the action. You don't need to even know the promise because you know the character of Christ. You know who he is, and that is where your faith lies. It's in this Jesus. It's in him. And so there's this deep need for us to know who Jesus is. But may I suggest to you that the disciples would have never known who this Jesus was if they did not go through that storm that day. They wouldn't have grasped the fact that this Jesus was the ruler of storms if they weren't on that boat in that storm, nearly dying. But it is through the hardships of life And through the storms of life that we are able to understand that this Jesus is our rock. That our foundation and our firmness in faith is dependent on him. It's going through storms that gets us there. Church, our our firmness and the solidity of our faith cannot be found in men. It cannot be found in churches. It cannot be found in your pastors. It cannot be found in governments or politicians or potential governments or potential politicians. That's where your faith cannot lie. Why? Because people are fickle and organizations will fail you. But oh, when we put our firm foundation in this Jesus, then we can have faith even in the midst of hardship because he is consistent. He never changes. He is able. He is capable. You need to put it in Christ. But the storms of life help us get to grow this faith. Faith barely ever grows in the midst of calm. But faith grows a lot in the midst of storms. Alyssa and I have been married now for four and a bit years. Am I right? Yeah, she's nodding. Um, four and a bit years now. Uh, when we first got married, I mean, we were just really poor. Uh, I was an intern at this church, and I don't know if there's any interns here. Bryce is not here. He's doing divorce care. He will tell you, uh, I didn't earn much. Alyssa, on the other hand, she was a OT and did correspondence. And um, so that, I'm not correspondence, man. Uh, sorry? Commission, that's what I was meant to say, correspondence. Commission, in private practice, it sounds great, but it meant that when people don't pitch up to uh, appointments, you just don't get paid. And so our, our salaries were like this. We didn't know how much we were getting every month, but pretty much every month we, we kind of fell short. And I remember in our first month, we came back from honeymoon, having spent way too much money and very little money in the bank and a lot of month left. And uh, we were around our one little wooden table with a green wooden chair and, a, and an office chair. That's pretty much what our entire house, um, borrowing like an old fridge. And we were sitting there and we were like just pleading to the Lord that he needed to come through because we had no money and very little food left in the fridge. And I remember this young man, really passionate, I'm going to provide for my family, and here I am, not even one month in, unable to do it, and, and, and really crying to the Lord that he would come through. And the next day, I remember coming home um, from work and unlocking uh, the sliding door and seeing the reflection of my landlady behind us. And uh, I seen her, and I turned around, and we started chatting a bit, and she said, you know, Joe, um, we've got a whole deep freeze full of meat, and we've just defrosted it all. Would you guys like some steak? I took it calmly, went inside, put it down on the table, uh, closed the curtains, and cried like a girl. 
Because God had come through. And man, those 18 months of storm, church, I can tell you now that God came through for us in so many different ways. From someone telling me they had dinged my car in the parking lot here in church, going opening and saying, open up your boots. That's a very strange request, but being a bit upset, walking outside, opened up my boot, and then they went and put a whole groceries worth of food in my boots. Fixing my car when it was broken down and we needed someone to repair it and someone came along graciously to do that. Someone put money in an envelope, written my name, wrote my name on it, 2,000 rand in it, still don't know who put it in. If it's you, thank you very much. I really appreciate it. Man, Mark Kukumur brought me 60 eggs. Man, I ate a lot of eggs that month. But God came through for us. He provided, sometimes we were given, we were given uh, things that were glamorous. Like we got a whole household worth of furniture. Man, Alyssa's on, we moved to the UK, said we could have it if we could get back. So we've got a whole house, we still have it. But sometimes it wasn't glamorous. Sometimes it was like veg that was turning. But God came through for us. And may I say that going through those 18 months of uh, financial storms helped a theological student slash pastor come to the conclusion, oh, I already knew intellectually that God was my provider, but it was going through the storm that I believed it. To a point that if you fast forward from that first day praying at that little table with the green wooden chair and office chair, two years down the line, I would be unemployed as matters in retirement with a pregnant wife and no job on the horizon. And for six months, I was unemployed. But yet I knew from going through 18 months that God was my provider. And we went to our land, our landlords and we said to them, man, we, we just, we've come under the situation. Work scenario has changed and we have no money coming in. And so we, go, we can give our notice. And they looked at us and said, no, just stay rent free. And for five months, six months, we had, did not have to pay rent. God came through again. Church, I don't, want, I don't know what... Uh, storms you are going through, and I don't want to belittle them because I know some of you are going through some tough stuff. More tough than I've experienced in my 28 years of life. But may I suggest you, may I be so bold to say that the unique storm that you might be going through gives you a unique opportunity to know Jesus in a unique way. And man, you're going through them, right? Right? And if you're not, I, I, can, I can guarantee this, that it's just down the road. There's another one coming. And you're going to go through storms. That's what life is. Life is tough. But what a waste it would be that we would go through these hardships and come out the other side not knowing Jesus a little better. Not having clung to him a little more. Not having our faith stirred and solidified so that the next time a storm comes, man, we are so much more sure in him. It would be a waste. But these opportunities get to help you to know Jesus in a unique way. You need to know who Jesus is more and more and more. Seek him out, search for him, because in it, your faith is matured. It is solid on the person of Christ. So that's what we need to do. And, and, and luckily for us, this passage gives us a unique insight into parts in the character of Jesus, probably more than any other passage that I can think of other than the death and resurrection of Christ. We see this paradox in this passage that Jesus is a f fully human, but at the same time, he's fully man. We see beautifully in this passage 
Jesus, after a whole long day's worth of work, is exhausted. He wasn't immune to a hard day's worth of work. He didn't come to the end of the day and feel like all a bunch of energy, but what slowed him down was his disciples. No, Jesus was the one who was so tired that he had to sleep at the back of the boat. The boat was literally sinking. He, the waves are swamping into it. The disciples are probably shouting at each other in, in fear and commands to tell each other what to do. But yet Christ is so exhausted, he is asleep. They have to go and wake him up. Lord, save us, we're perishing. And he probably wakes up from this nap. And if he's anything like me after a nap, he feels like he's been hit by a bus. And he rebukes the disciples, but man, what do we see? We see the full divinity of Christ come through that even though he's in this human state of exhaustion, he's able to stand up and say, peace, be still, and creation listens to its creator. It's a beautiful understanding of Christ that he's man and he is God. And when we grasp it, man, it stirs faith in our hearts and helps solidify our faith. Why? Because, man, understanding that Jesus is human gets us to know that this God, this Jesus that we pray to in hardship is not just a God that understands our hardship intellectually, but rather he is also someone who's experienced it. He has gone through it himself. Man, are you poor and needy like Alyssa and I were in our first years of marriage? So was Christ. He understands it. We just see in the previous section, in in verses 18 to 22, what do we see? A, A young man come to Jesus and say, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus, perceiving that he has no clue what he is actually getting himself into, says to him, foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus says, I don't have a home. Man, Jesus' ministry consisted of him preaching on borrowed boats. He rode into Jerusalem on his triumphant entry on a borrowed colt. Man, when he died, he was buried in a borrowed tomb, though he did only use it for three days. (laughs) Are you alone and neglected? Do you feel that those who should love you just don't? Man, Jesus understands that he created the human race, yet all humans would reject him. His very own people, the Israelites, who he called his people and had looked after for centuries, would reject him when he came. Out of all of Israel, he got 12 that would follow him. One of them would betray him, and the other 11 would abandon him in his darkest hour. Are you feeling alone and neglected and not loved by those who should run to Christ? Man, he gets it. Are are you misunderstood, misrepresented, slandered and persecuted? Oh, Jesus gets that as well. He was called a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of sinners, a Samaritan, a madman and a devil. He was lied about and said that he did things that he did not do and didn't do things that he did do in order that they might crucify him and kill him. Do you feel misrepresented and misunderstood? Run to Christ. He understands. Do you feel tempted beyond your means? That you just feel like you can't resist temptation? Run to Jesus. Because we see in Matthew 4 that Jesus was tempted by Satan himself, yet he did not sin. He's your perfect person to help you lead you through that. Putting this all together and thinking about this, I I came to the thought that maybe Jesus doesn't get something. Maybe he doesn't get what it's like to have sinned because he was perfect, he was sinless. And I don't know when you, if, if, I'm sure many of us understand 
the burden and the guilt and the shame it is sometimes when you've done something wrong and you know you have. Particularly if it's big. I can remember having to carry things that were just so heavy. It consumed my mind. It, it was difficult. My, my life was in depression because of the things that I had done. And I thought, maybe Christ doesn't get that. But then I was reminded of 2 Corinthians, 5, verse, uh, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. These glorious words that Paul writes about Jesus. He says this, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. Then I was reminded again, this Jesus understands what it's like to know what sin is because he bore the sins of the world. When, when Jesus died on the cross and was dying and given his last breath, the sins of the world was poured upon him and he bore the sin and the shame and the guilt of a prostitute, a murderer, a thief, an adulterer, a slanderer. He bore it all. He bore it all and he knows what it is like. And you might say to me, but Joe, man, my sin's unique. And, and you just don't get what it feels like. Friend, that might be true. I might not have done the things that you have done. But the beauty of the gospel is that Jesus didn't just die for the sins of the world in general, but he died for your sins in particular. He died with you in mind. He bore your very sin. He carried your very shame. And he knows exactly what you are going through because he made your sin his own. And the call of the gospel is come to this Christ. He gets what it is like. He knows your pain. He knows your shame. He made it his own. And you can run to him and you will remove it. He will take it away. He will free you from it. This is why the writer, uh, the, uh, the writer in Hebrews gets so excited in, verses, uh, in uh, chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. It says this. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness. Talking about Jesus there. With, uh, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. So here comes, the, here comes the call. Here comes the response that we need to make. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we might receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Oh, what a beautiful thing that Jesus Christ was fully human because it meant that we understood the hardships of life like we were. He had to go through life like we did. Oh, but friends, may I say that it means absolutely nothing if he was not fully God. Absolutely nothing. Because it would mean that Jesus would understand our hardships. He would be able to sympathize with us, but he would not be able to do anything about it. It would mean that we could cry out to him and he could go, I know what you're going through, but yet he would not be able to bring any comfort. He would not be able to encourage. He would not be able to intervene. He would not be able to do anything about it because he would not be God. But what do we see in this passage, and thank God that we do, that when we look there that this Jesus who was exhausted was able to stand up and man, he said, peace be still and creation obeyed the voice of its creator. This is the wonder of our Jesus that he's a, he's a God who is powerful and he is able. We sung about it this evening. He is able and he's on our side. We see in John 1 verse 3 that it says this about Christ. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing has been made. Nothing was made that has been made. Nothing that has been made was not made by Christ. He is the God who has spoken and creation has came into being. 
But not only that, we see in Colossians 1 verse 17 that Jesus holds it all together. He is the one who is sovereign over it all. He is in absolute control. The stars twinkle and move and the universes do its thing because Christ allows them to. Seasons change because he allows them to. Kingdoms rise and kingdoms fall because he has allowed them to. He is in absolute control. Oh man, we see in just the chapter before this, we see that Jesus gave sight to the blind, healed the lame with the word, healed the leper with the touch, and cast out the demonic with the command. That's the power of our God, and that's the power of Jesus. And when we grasp these two wonderful truths about Christ, our faith is matured and solidified in his person rather than in people and other things. The same Jesus that sympathizes with you is the same Jesus who's able to do something about it. He's able to come and bring you comfort. He's able to come and change your situation. He is sovereign in control. Nothing that you're going through has caught him off guard. But yet, man, he loves you and he gets the hard hurt that you are going through. But the call for us, church, is to seek out more of who this Jesus is. Pursue him. Make it your, your goal, your aim, that you would know more of this Jesus. That not only through experience, but also through his word. He has revealed himself to us that we might know him. Spend time devouring and asking the question, what does this say about Jesus? Who is he? How can I know him more? And in that comes a great firming of our faith, a great firming of our faith. And even when the, the world is falling apart and we are in the midst of storms, we can keep our eyes fixed on this Jesus and there will be a great peace in our hearts. I'm going to end off with an old hymn. I'm not going to sing. I'm going to spare you that. But it says, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full into his wonderful face. And all the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And if you're wanting that Jesus, man, we, we prayed for you this evening. And you don't know him. We would love to walk that journey with you. Come to us. We'll hang around a bit for afterwards. Don't let this go by. But seek Christ, church. Seek him.